welcome to this episode of Want to Hear Something Interesting, a podcast where your hosts Scott Ahern and Chad Knight discuss a topic using research and personal opinion. The topics will be wide and varied, but approached with the researcher's eye. Will everything we say be 100% accurate? Probably not, but we are striving to be as accurate as we can be. Every month on the 1st, a new topic will come your way. Occasionally, though not usually, there may be some language of the adult variety. Listener, be warned. Now, here are your hosts, Scott and Chad. Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of Want to Hear Something Interesting. I'm Scott Ahern, and as always, with me is the guy who does almost all of the work, Chad Knight. Hey, everyone. Now, while the actual division of labor may be up for debate, what isn't in question is that most people work. And that's what we wanted to talk about this month. Work, and specifically, different types of businesses. Now, before we go too much into this topic, I do have a little disclaimer. Neither Chad nor I are accountants, lawyers, or certified financial planners, so do not take what we say and upend your whole life. As with everything we present here, the information is correct to the best of our ability to verify, but we are only human and can make mistakes. If there's something you like or want to know more about, check out the links we post with the podcast for the sources we used, and then go verify on your own. And if you do decide to do something new, check with the spouse first. It will make things so much easier. Truer words were never spoken. Now, this is usually the point in the podcast where Chad breaks out his timeline. Yeah, that's true. But this month we are shaking things up a little. I actually have a brief timeline and some background information, and then I am going to interview Chad due to his specific experience vis-a-vis our topic. Visa what? I take Visa, MasterCard, Discover, not an American Express. The, the percentage is too high. I agree. But it's not Visa. It's vis-a-vis. It means relating to or pertaining to. Although we will get back to your taking credit cards. But before we dig into that, I wanted to go into the background info I mentioned earlier about businesses. Now, most people are familiar with basic businesses like corporations and mom and pop stores. What you may not be aware of is how many different legal classifications there are and what sets them apart. Since this isn't intended to be a full semester of economics, I'll keep it short. Uh Uh-huh. Unless, of course, someone keeps interrupting me. Would that be me? That would be you. Okay. Okay, here we go. To quote men without hats. (laughs) The biggest distinction is between types of businesses and types of business organizations. According to accountingverse.com, there are three main types of businesses. Service, merchandising, and manufacturing. Merchandising? Where the real money from the picture is made. True enough. That was horrible. But that was supposed to be yogurt, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Mel Brooks, Spaceballs, great movie. Absolutely. Merchandising. You know, flamethrowers. Kids love love the frame. Who knows? God willing, we'll see each other again in Spaceballs 2, the search for for more money. money. Yep. (laughs) And if you want to talk about movie money, talk talk to anyone who collected action figures from the original Star Wars trilogy. And kept them in the the Original packaging. Yeah, yeah. Now, those three types of businesses, service, merchandising, and manufacturing, are pretty self-explanatory. Most people understand what they are. There is technically a fourth called hybrid. And no, this is not the company that makes the engines for all the cars and SUVs out there that we're supposed to be buying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. They're type of business where you could argue that there's more than one of those. For example, a restaurant might actually be considered all three because they cook the food, so it's manufacturing. They try to convince you to buy the really expensive bottle of wine, so it's merchandising. And then they actually bring everything out to the table for you, so it's service. Fair enough. Most people, as I said, understand what those three, three and a half with hybrid are. 
I wanted to talk more about the organization category. Okay. So, and again, I'm getting this from accountingverse.com. The basic types of business ownership or organization start with the simple one, sole proprietorship. This is one where it's one person. Somebody starts a business, they own the whole thing. One of the downsides is if anything goes wrong, they're on the hook for everything as well. All outstanding bills, anything. If you get sued, it's not the company that gets sued. You get sued personally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, one of the caveats to sole proprietorship and why you don't see it as much as you used to anymore is that the owner faces unlimited liability, to use the legal term. So if you default on a business loan, you could lose your house, your car, your kid's college fund, things like that. This is why we said earlier, don't do anything just on our say-so without talking to the spouse. Or significant other or, or you know, anybody that's going to have a financial stake in what you do. Right. And also, if you are going to open a new business, I cannot recommend strongly enough that you do your research and possibly talk to an attorney or a tax accountant. Yes, and if it's if it's anything where you're going to be in a brick and mortar type store, make sure you do a business plan. Yep. Second type is a partnership. Main difference is sole proprietorship is one person, partnership is at least two. And all parties contribute in some fashion to the business. It might be financial, one might be financial, and one might be labor. It depends on the needs of the business and the type of business that you're doing. So there's two main types of partnership. There's general partnership, where everybody's on the hook equally, and then limited partnerships, where some of the partners are not as invested, so they're not making as much of the profits, but then also if things go belly up, they can't get sued as badly. Yeah, pretty much. The third type is another one of those that pretty much everybody knows about. Corporation. So, corporation is a business organization that has a separate legal personality from its owners. When I first read that line, legal personality, I could not help but think of the Citizens United Supreme Court case, where the Supreme Court ruled that the corporation was a person and could contribute to political campaigns. And then I saw this awesome bumper sticker on a car in the parking lot at the Y that said, I'll believe corporations are people when Texas executes one. Fair enough. <laughs> Texas will execute anything, though. Pretty much. So how you tell ownership in a corporation is through stocks. That's one of the, the biggest things. Sole proprietorships and partnerships are usually privately held, meaning they don't go out on the New York Stock Exchange. You can't just buy a piece of it unless you happen to know the people who own it, whereas corporations are defined. One of the defining characteristics is they offer stock to the general public. And then those stockholders have a say in the running of the company to a certain extent. Part of it depends on how much stock and in some cases what kind of stock, if they have general or preferred. And they exercise their authority through the usually a board of directors who are then in charge of hiring the chief executive officer and whatnot. Right. And a good example of that is you can buy stock in the Green Bay Packers. Gives you absolutely no power whatsoever. Correct. Other than you get a piece of paper that says, I spent way too much money on a piece of stock that does me no good. Although you do get invited to the stockholders meeting every year. You do. That's true. But mm -hmm. other than that, there's there's no bonus to it. There's, you don't make a financial gain in any way. Nope. You don't get a say in anything. 
It's just, it's more of a feel-good kind of thing. Right. You are, you get that warm, happy feeling from knowing that you are contributing to the continued dominance of the Green Bay Packers over every other team in the NFC. Well, in this case, right now, if you buy it, you're just helping pay Aaron Rodgers. Pretty much. But then, on this, on the flip side, you could go buy a piece of stock for, say, Nike. Mm-hmm. Now, when Nike does well, your stock goes up. You make money. Yes. When Nike does poorly, like hire Colin Kaepernick, and stock drops, you lose share and, in case, lose money. Mm-hmm. So, I saw your eyeballs raised, <laughs> but I was just doing it as a point of... Right. There was a lot of public furor over Nike's decision to feature Colin Kaepernick in their current series of advertising. Whether you agree with the decision or not, whether you agree with Kaepernick's stand or not, the fact is that it does represent the type of decision that corporations might make, which could cause multiple levels of backlash. They saw public backlash. They got blasted by the president. They got blasted in social media. By stockholders? They got blasted by stockholders who were unhappy. Largely, the derision from the stockholders fell into two camps. One was the camp who side with the president and don't like Kaepernick and his protest during the national anthem. The other group were stockholders who are maybe capable of separating their personal interest from their business investment interest, but still were concerned because the public outcry reduced the value of Nike's stock, which reduced their value of the stocks they held. Right. Now, Nike stock has since rebounded. Correct. And so it's ending up being a net gain for the company and thus for any of the stockholders. But, I mean, it was one of those things that if somebody was short-sighted and their stock dropped $5 in like two days, somebody might have got panicky and sold. Right. And then and, when it went back up, they'd be like, crap. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was not trying to make a statement on that campaign one way or the other because personally i don't care Mm -hmm. i don't wear nike shoes i never have and it means nothing to me Mm -hmm. so so now talking about the stockholders they are somewhat protected from legal liability the pretty much the extent of their liability is in the dollar value of their stock should the company get sued and go bankrupt, chances are their the value of their stock goes to zero. So they would lose whatever money they invested. invested. But that would be it. That would be the limit of their right. liability. Mm-hmm. So now there are a couple of new types that have really um, taken off in the last few years. One, partly because of a new outlook on things in America and the other because of the huge gap between partnership and corporation and that there was this need for something that filled in the gap. That one is called a limited liability company, uh, usually referred to as an LLC. LLCs, according to, again, accountingverse.com, are hybrid forms of business that have characteristics of both a corporation and a partnership. Biggest distinction is that an LLC is not incorporated. It's not a full corporation. It doesn't offer stock. So to be part of an LLC, you have to almost be a part of the creation of it. Mm -hmm. It works like the limited partnership aspect of a partnership where there is a legal buffer between 
the liability of whatever the company is and the people who have started it and invested it. So it, it gives that extra layer of protection. The other type of company that's come up lately is called a cooperative. Now, some of our listeners who are in the more rural areas may be familiar with cooperatives like Senex, the gas station company. Uh, they are oftentimes set up by farm cooperatives, and then they not only have the gas station and convenience store, but they also have LP service. They might even have a large capacity garage to work on farm equipment, things like that. Another example of a cooperative near me is uh, actually just called the Stevens Point Co-op. It's a small niche grocery store type of setup where they do a lot of natural organic foods, gluten-free, vegan, all of that. And it's set up by the community and people work there in and out periodically. And the profits from it are invested back into the store, into the community. They do a lot with local groups like FarmShare and things like that. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of these food share places are kind of set up as co-ops. Right. You go, you spend so much time working in the garden, and in response, you get X amount of food. Right. Or if you don't want to work in the garden for X amount of dollars, you get X amount of food. Correct. So. And there are actually, in Portage and Wood Counties, there are a lot of local farmers who have gotten together and set up co-ops and they go out to the community at large and people buy a a share in it and it gets you so many chickens, so many dozen eggs, so much of a pig or a cow uh, when it's time for slaughtering, uh, so many bushels of corn or things things like that. We also have them in banks and credit unions. Uh, Credit unions especially are longstanding co-ops, as are utilities. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of water and electrical utilities are older forms of cooperatives. They're a little more structured. They are quasi-governmental right. because of some the of the government infrastructure. Right, the government has their fingers in it a little more than yep. your standard co-op. Mm-hmm. Now for the timeline portion, and as I said before, it's brief. I went online and I found a couple of references to old businesses. Okay. The oldest one I was able to find that they have some kind of documentation for was a spa named Hushi Ryokan. I'm okay. pretty sure I'm mispronouncing that horribly. But I'm guessing it's Japanese or Chinese. It is Japanese. Okay. It's in the Ishikawa Prefecture in Japan. And according to the documentation that they are able to reference, it was founded in 718, Common Era. Wow. So that is, let's see, this is 2018. So it is 1,300 years old this year. Wow. That is crazy. (laughs) That's a long time to be in the bath. (laughs) I'm guessing they've changed owners a couple times. I would think so. Actually, I was surprised Bank of Korea commissioned a study back in 2008, and they looked at 41 countries and found almost 5,600 companies that had been established for more than 200 years. and Are any of those in the United States? It did not list any. Oh, okay. didn't list them. Yep. Okay. There were over 3,100 in Japan. So Japan 
by far had the highest percentage. Well, they had a what we would consider a modern society a lot longer than the rest of the world. Yes. You know, they went into, uh, because of their denseness of population, they founded cities long before other agricultural societies did. Mm-hmm. So, well, necessity is the mother of invention. Absolutely. So, there were over 800 in Germany, over 200 in the Netherlands, and almost 200 in France. Okay. Now, one thing I thought was interesting, we keep hearing about big business, and especially here in America, too big to fail type of thing. But of companies with more than 100 years of history, just shy of 90% employ fewer than 300 people. Wow, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Which, if you think about it, yes, you've got these huge banks, insurance companies, manufacturers with thousands and tens of thousands of employees. But that's still one company. Right. So if you're looking at percentage of companies as opposed to percentage of the workforce, you may have five mom-and-pop grocery stores, or say in New York City, you've got all those corner bodegas. Right. Chances are it's one family with maybe a couple of part-timers. So 12 employees, maybe? Well, the company I work for right now, we have less than 30 people top to bottom, mm-hmm. you know. And a lot of your stuff, you contract out to local people, correct? De- de- depending on the type of work, but yes, mm-hmm. some of it does get contracted out. And I, I think that's just part of the, the way that they operate the business because it's what makes financial sense for them. Right. To have a technician that you have to pay or deal with them not being on the road for a couple of weeks because there's really no work versus, oh, we got work to do. We've got this supply of people here that we can pick from, you know, and then when they're not working for us, they're free to go work for whoever else. Yep. So I, I think that's just part of the business model that they have gone with. I've seen that business model change with the company that I'm at right now over the time I've been there. So I've been there for almost 14 and a half years now. And when I first started, it was all internal technicians. But then as the workload started to pick up, we didn't have enough technicians, so we started to supplement. And then we found, and I, well, when I say we, I mean the company found, I believe, that it made more financial sense to use this pool of contract guys over trying to pay a salary, you know, insurance, health care, all that kind of stuff. It's cheaper to use these guys who I pay them more per hour than I pay a technician that we have in our company. But in the long run, that guy that we pay double per hour, what we pay this guy per hour, is still cheaper. Yes. So. Because yeah. when I was in the private sector and I took a look at some of the numbers, the benefit side of the equation was ridiculous between the tax element, payroll taxes, social security tax, all those matching things. And then if you're a large enough company where you offer 401k matching, health insurance, dental insurance, etc. Plus then you have vacation time. One company I worked for, they contracted with a payroll services company who offered a very unusual benefit, which was a pool for workman's comp insurance. Okay. And the reason that the company decided to do this was because it was a professional security and bodyguard company. 
And when they tried to get workman's comp insurance on their own, between the nature of the business and the small number of employees that we were doing, and because we were armed, we had to go through the, at the time I was in Oregon, so we had to go through the state concealed carry training, and we got checked out at the state uh, state police barracks and everything. And the workers' comp insurance premium for the small number of employees was ridiculous because of the nature of the work. So they contracted with this payroll services company that also worked with a couple of hundred other companies, and all of a sudden our workers' comp insurance dropped by over 95% because it was averaged in with everybody else and it became the pool. Yeah, and sometimes you find those things. It's They have just, the company where I'm at now, they have just outsourced our human resource department. They had tried bringing in people to run the human resources department and it just wasn't doing what they wanted it to do. So now they have outsourced it. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't seen anything. We've been told about it, but we haven't seen anything come from it yet. But it'll be interesting to see how that works when there's a company outside your company taking care of the human resource issues within your company. Okay. So I, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't deal with a lot of that stuff because I kind of sit back in my own little corner and I don't get involved in office politics because <laughs> it just never seems like a good idea. Generally so. not, no. We've been talking about the company you work for. Mm-hmm. You used to actually have your own small business, didn't you? I did. Chatham Games. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we were... A game store. We carried board games, card games, pretty much everything except video games. Okay. When it comes to, like, entertainment. So we did role-playing games. We did board games, card games, just these strange off-the-wall games once in a while. So it was it was your standard game store you go into. Okay. And where was that? It was... Um, actually, we were in uh, Schofield. Wisconsin. Okay. So we were in a small strip mall. Um, it was actually a business incubator. So rent was for the space we had was relatively cheap, which is good because we were paying everything out of pocket. Mm-hmm. So um, now, if I remember correctly, the genesis of this company actually started several years before the brick and mortar. Oh yes, we actually formed in 2007 as Chatham Games. Um, strangely enough, one of the things that still blows my mind to this day is we spent three months trying to come up with a name and we would, we'd throw names at each other and we'd say, Oh, that's great. No. And you know, I'd be like, this is a great name. And my partner, Adam would go, no, no. And you know, just back and forth. And finally we're sitting, we, we decided one night that we're going to sit down because we had to, we were an LLC. So we had to get the paperwork filed. Okay, so Limited Liability Corporation, that's one of the newer types of organizations that we talked about. But we needed a name that we could both be happy with. And the genesis to the name was actually kind of funny because Adam had a date with his girlfriend that night. So we sat down at noon. He's supposed to go out at like 6 o'clock. At 4.30, we still haven't decided on a name. And he's texting back and forth with his girlfriend. And he gets a text, he looks at the phone, and he goes, that's too easy. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, how about Chatham Games? And I'm like, you mean just like put our names together and just... And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, done. Yep. It was the stupidest thing. She just had this epiphany and she's like, how about this? Yep. That's why you talk to the significant other. Right. 
So that was in 2007. We formed we formed as a game convention company. So we weren't at that point planning brick and mortar. That was further on down. And we decided we would, you know, we found a vendor that would work with us, even though we weren't brick and mortar, which is kind of hard to do, actually, mm -hmm. without going third party. And so we started that way. And we would go to conventions 12 to 15 a year. So if you do the math, that's more than one a month. Yep. A lot of my vacation time was burnt doing that because I'd have to take a Friday or a Thursday and a Friday off or a Thursday and a Friday and a Monday, depending on how far away the the uh, convention was. We stayed mostly in the state of Wisconsin because one year we decided, well, we'll hit Illinois, we'll hit Minnesota. And then we found out that the tax implications to that is just tax implications to that was very painful okay. for paperwork wise. Because mm -hmm. not only do you have to pay tax in the state that you're doing the work in you have to pay tax in your own state yep and they just kind of like it's not like they go okay we'll split it no 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 you got to pay full tax in both places and you have to file taxes in both states and in both counties and it's just it's a real nightmare yeah that's a good word for it <laughs> so we did that from 2007 to 2011 no 2010 in june of 2010 we figured Now's the time. We uh, There was only one other game store in the Wassa area at that time, and he's still there. We are not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we opened in June of 2010, and we were in brick and mortar, and we continued to do the conventions. Maybe not at, at the same rate, but we continued to do the conventions, and we closed shop in January of 2012. Okay, so about a year and a half. In brick and mortar, yeah, right. but about... Five and a half years, or four and a half years as a complete business. Okay. So, did you find that having the brick and mortar, actually having the physical location, created too much expense drag on your income? Yes, absolutely. Okay. The overhead compared to what we were making each month was negative. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so the, the problem being is, okay, so we're in a market where there's two game stores. Yep. One game store much bigger than the other. I mean, you, you were to my shop. Right. And I had been at Game Night, which had been in that same strip mall a few years previously. Right. And closed. Right. And we decided that we could... Well, we bought a lot of game nights, <laughs> excess <laughs> inventory. Inventory. That's kind of how we got started. When we started doing the conventions, though, game nights still existed, and we were kind of partnered with game nights. So, if there was stuff we couldn't get through our supplier, we would go to them and go, "Hey, can you get us X Y Z?" And he would do it usually for just a, a slight markup, so mm -hmm. he made a little bit. And I get that, but. Yep. But when you're when you're going against a game store that has been in the Wassa area for it's got to be almost 20 years now. I would think so, yeah. If not more, and we're starting out, so he buys in much bigger volume than we buy. Yep. He gets much better pricing than we get. Yep. So he can sell it cheaper than we can. Yep. That was our biggest drawback because at the time Magic the Gathering was the game. It was yes. When I in order to sell packs of magic i had a mark my my what i brought in from one pack of magic was three cents okay and that was to match price 
And I guarantee he made more than three cents a pack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we had our diehards. We had our people that had either had a bad experience with the other store or, you know, they were friends of ours. So they became our core people. Right. The biggest problem with gamers is they don't have any money. True. <laughs> For the most part. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't offer when a, when a new set of Magic came out, the other store would sell it at a loss. Mm-hmm. We couldn't afford to do that. you know. So we had our diehard guys. We had our Magic guys that would come in. They'd buy a box from us, try to help us out. Yep. But then they'd go buy the other three or four from the other store. Right. And you can't blame them. Nope. I mean, it's the way it goes. But we tried. We um, I, I burnt through my 401k over the course of the business. And once we closed the business, we burned through a chunk of Nikki's 401k. So starting a business on a shoestring, uh, a brick and mortar on a shoestring, is not a wise way to go. True enough, yes. <laughs> and then, again, that might also have been where a business plan would have been a good idea. You know, I did do a business plan. Because I was taking classes at University Extension here in town at the time, and I was going for my business degree. I figured I'm going to start a business. I should probably do this. And one of the first classes I took, you had to put together a business plan. Okay. So I talked to the professor, and I said, hey, I'm opening a business. Can I just, you know, double up? And she's like, absolutely. So I did this beautiful business plan, and then we opened the business, and it sat on a shelf somewhere. Okay. So it was never really implemented. Had it been implemented, we probably wouldn't have been there for a year and a half. Right. Had it been implemented, some of the stuff we did uh, wouldn't have happened. Okay. Had it been implemented, the taxes might have got paid. Okay. That's generally a good thing, especially when the IRS sends people in very serious suits to come talk to you. Yeah. Well, never got that far, but it was one of those things where I was more of the... Labor, I mean, I put about as, actually, I probably put in more money overall than my partner did, but he was in charge of the inventory and the back end of stuff, so he was in charge of taxes and this and that. And because I knew him and I trusted him, and and he said, and I said, hey, did the taxes get done? And he'd say, yeah. And I'd be like, okay, I need my copy so I can do my taxes. Mm-hmm. He'd give me a copy of filled out tax forms, and I never went any deeper than that. A mistake that if I ever open another business will not happen again. Yep. Because it's very costly. Mm-hmm. When you start getting letters from the government and and they really like fees and extra taxes and late penalties. Yeah. And all that kind all of that stuff. wonderfulness. Yes. So now was it just the two of you? It was just the two of us. Uh, we decided to go with LLC because we thought it protected us completely from. You know, people coming at you. But it doesn't protect you from the government. Nope. Hardly anything does these days. Right. It does protect you from, like, if somebody had fallen outside of our shop and got injured, you know, it would have protected us from that lawsuit. Right. But when the government's involved, no. You still pay the government. Uncle Sam always gets his. Yes. So, did you have any part-time employees, or did you have some of the diehard gamers who were like... I'll volunteer, and then I get to play. We actually had a mixture. In the in the brick and mortar, we only had one part-time guy, and he worked for us in the brick and mortar the entire 18 months. 
Conventions, on the other hand, were done differently. Mm-hmm. I, on, on occasions, we did bring somebody with us to bigger cons, and they were usually paid in product. Okay. So basically, we'd be like, okay, we're going to pay you minimum wage, mm-hmm. and then whatever hours you work, we will give you product equivalent to that. And that worked for us because most product was about 40% markup. Okay. So I was really only paying them like two-thirds of. So like waitress salary. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But they were happy because they got that book they wanted or they got, you know, plus they got a hotel room. And they got to go to the convention. Convention, And their their badge was paid for and they didn't have to work the whole time and they could go do things. Mm -hmm. We usually fed them part of the time. We, you know, we always said bring money for food, but sometimes that didn't happen. So then you fed two people instead of one. Yep. So that kind of stuff, but it was it was a lot of fun while I did it. And when we first closed the shop, I thought, man, how am I gonna? I mean, that's that. There's that void, you know. Yep. I'm like, how am I ever gonna get over that? And now when I look back at the business and I think about the way I did it, and I always say, if I ever open another business, you know, there's gonna be certain things done in a certain way, because if they're not, I'm gonna end up right back where I'm at. Right. And I don't have a 401k to dig my ass out this time. You know what I mean? Yep. So, what do you got next? Okay. Why did you choose to open the business? I mean, you already had a job. Mm-hmm. You, I, if I remember correctly, you didn't leave that job to That's do correct. this other one. You that said you correct. used vacation when you were doing the conventions. Right. Um, you had the employee... Um, at the store during hours that you were working and then you'd be there nights and weekends. Type well, of thing. Adam would work as well. Mm-hmm. And our, our employee, Zach, would cover that space in between. Because the nice thing was Adam worked nights, I worked days. Right. So Zach would cover that, you know, three to four hours a day that somebody couldn't be there. And then he would usually work, I want to say Sundays. Now it doesn't really matter. One of the weekend days. Yep. But I worked my... 42 to 45 hours a week at my day job. Yep. And then I would put in 50 to 60 hours a week at the shop. Okay. So, and I had little kids at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. My oldest one in 2007 would have been seven. Yep. So, I did get to see them a lot. Nikki made sure they got to come down to the the shop, you know, not if not every day, most days. Mm Mm-hmm. And they would sit in the back room and they'd do their homework and, you know, whatever. And I'd have time to hang out with them and stuff. And we'd teach them, you know, people would come in and it was so cute, the little girls checking them out, you know, kind of thing. But it still wasn't quality time. Right. So those were hard to come by, which is why when we set it all up, I said, Sundays, I don't work. Right. You know, unless unless the sky's falling, I'm not in the shop on Sunday. And that worked for most of the time that we were open. I had just about every Sunday off. Um, not always from the day job, but... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the funny thing with my job, too, is... Yes, I have day hours, but I'm kind of on call... Right. ...all the time. Now. Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just the way it is. Okay, uh, so that's the... We talked a little bit about why you chose to go with the brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose to start the convention side of it? Because we thought we could do it better. Okay. And there might have been a couple alcohol-fueled nights where we sat and talked about it. And we're like, you know, it's not going to cost that much to do the conventions. And and it really didn't. We got a reseller's license. Mm -hmm. 
We got um, the LLC. We yep. we started that right away, and we went and did our thing, you know. And it was it was fun, basically. Yeah. Now both you and Adam were gamers. Yes. Now from my experience dealing with the two of you, Adam seems to be more of the board game side, or mm-hmm. at least that that's board more games his and interest. Minis. Yep. And while you like board games and such, you really enjoy the role playing game yes. side. Yes. Yes. Which was, we also decided that was a good thing for the store because we kind of had all our bases covered. Right. We both played Magic at the time. You know, I was into the role-playing. He did a little role-playing. Mm-hmm. He was into the board games and the minis, and I did a little bit of both of those. You know, in the long run, I realized minis is not my thing, at least not as a game. I mean, I like to have them around for, like, when we're role-playing. But as far as a game, I never really... It never really it, it didn't have the same type of mental engagement. Yeah, that like mm-hmm. role playing does, and even some sorts of board games are like that. Yep. You know, you get into the cooperative board games, and there can be a lot of mental skill use that is used in order for you as a group to defeat the board game. Right. So, and I, and I think those are the things that get me are, are more my speed than the minis games where it's all tactical it's all you know it's cut and dry really and it's just like who can outthink who first yep but yeah i mean basically we chose to open the business because my wife said it was okay and we thought we could do it better okay you know and i'll be honest there was some there was some bonus to the fact that we bought stuff at wholesale yep so when i bought a game or i bought another book you know we weren't stupid about it. We weren't like just like, oh, we can take this or oh, we're gonna pay cost on this. We would we would charge ourselves ten percent okay. over cost so that the, the business was making something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I got a lot of games. I can't be I can't lie. I got a lot of games. Just you know, I never got paid though. I, in the entire time that Chatham Games existed, I shouldn't say never. I got paid twice. Okay. Adam got paid twice. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we put a lot of money in. So, yeah, but we did it because we thought we could do it better. We thought this would be a launching pad to get into a game store. Right. And we're like, what better job to have than your hobby? Exactly. And it just didn't work out that way. Okay. So. So, were there any pleasant surprises about owning your own business? Yeah. I didn't totally... Like, Okay, so this might sound a little weird, but if I work 50 or 60 hours a week at my day job, yep. I get a little testy. <laughs> but when I worked 45 hours at my day job and then another 60 hours at the shop, it wasn't a problem for me. Okay. Because I enjoyed being at the shop. Right. You know, I, I enjoyed that more than I thought I would. I enjoyed the feeling of accomplishment that came with owning a business. Okay. Even though at the end that feeling went away real quick. but you know those kind of things just the the fact that people kind of look up to you because you're a business owner right even though sometimes for the wrong reasons and and i saw your next question so i'll I'll wait on that no no we can that's a good segue so Um, so i know we've talked a little bit about some unpleasant surprises mm -hmm. like the taxes and the overhead climbing rapidly yep but one of the most unpleasant things I found is the minute you open a business, and in this case it was a gaming business, but I got a feeling this is with any business, right away people think you're rich. Right. And right away people think you should give them everything for free. Yep. And these are guys I had gamed with for years who drove me absolutely insane. 
Can I have it for half price? No. You know, can, can you uh, sell me magic for, you know, $1.50 a pack instead of three? No, because then I'm losing a $1.47, you know? Yep. They just didn't, they didn't get the fact that just because I was trying something that I was working towards a goal that didn't mean that I just had money falling out of my pockets. Right. And I think in a lot of cases, and, and I've come to appreciate this too, is I don't look at people and be like, oh, you own a business, you must have money everywhere. Because it's not true. Right. At all. And that was probably the most unpleasant surprise other than the IRS <laughs> about owning my own business. <laughs> Yeah. What were some things you thought would happen but didn't, apart from making money? <laughs> well, that's one of them. Yeah. Uh, the other one was we started in a small space, and our first goal was because the, the suite next to us was open, and the landlord said that if we ever wanted that space, he would give it to us. We they, They'd you know knock a hole in the wall so we could have flow through, and he would let us have it at half the normal rate of rental so that we could have a bigger space. And then the next step from that was, remember the old video store that was across the parking yep. lot from there? That's mm -hmm. where we were going to be. We okay. were going to be so successful that we could move into this huge area. We'd have tons of gaming space, you know, which we had a gaming space. I remember I was there for at least one magic launch night. Oh, God, magic launch nights were horrible because we had to clean out the center of the store as much as we could. Yep. Put extra tables in there. Mm-hmm. They were good on the bottom line. They were horrible on the setup. Yep. And trying to move through the through the uh, store. Right. Teaming hordes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty easy for us to get three tables in the back, but to get another three tables up front was insane. But we did it. Mm -hmm. Every you know three months or whatever magic came out, we did it. But could you imagine that in that other space? It'd be like six tables. Hell, do you need twelve? Do you need fifteen? Yep. You know, because we actually did turn people away because we just didn't, literally didn't have the space. Yep. I remember one magic launch night where we actually had two tables out on the sidewalk because people kept coming in. And, of course, they're your friends, so you're like, okay, I'm already full, but okay, I guess two more out there. And then... Yep. Well, not to mention with a small business, you never want to turn customers away. Exactly. If at all possible, you do not. But, you know, a launch in December... I can't put them out on the sidewalk. No. Nope. You know, another, I guess another thing, if we go back to unpleasant surprises, is the number of the unwashed multitudes that come into game stores. <laughs> you know, there's this stereotype about gamers and they don't shower and they don't take care of themselves and, you know, everything's slimy. And, and I don't know how it became a stereotype, but there are definitely those gamers. Yep. You know, and I had a few of them in my fraternity at college. There you go. And we had a few that were regulars at the store, you know, and you can't kick somebody out because they stink. I mean, you can, but what's that going to do for you? Right. They're, they're not going to be happy. They're going to tell their friends. Their friends aren't going to be happy. Yep. You know, and then we would have went to business even faster. But, you know, it, it's a stereotype that I don't think applies to 90% of the community. But that 10% of the unwashed, I get it. Yep. I get why people are like, I don't want gamers in here, you know? But, you know, I just thought, we thought that it was easier to run a business than it was. You know, we thought that money comes in, you pay your bills, you buy more stuff, and it just, it's a cycle. It's a, And I don't know how many times that 
I'd get paid at work and pay rent and then everything else went into the store. Yep. You know, or you get paid at, at work and you make your car payment and everything else goes into the store. So, and we probably hung on longer than we should have from a financial standpoint. Right. Now, one thing I always wonder, when you decided to shutter the brick and mortar, why didn't you go back to the convention circuit? I was burnt out. Makes sense. Plain and simple. I was burnt. I had been working 100 hours a week for 18 months straight, and Nikki wasn't happy anymore. Mm -hmm. The girls were getting to the point where they were like, we're sick of coming to the store. Yes, we get to see you, but, you know, it's just, it's not enough it's not the right kind of time to be spent with dad mm -hmm. and i mean all that all that really weighs into it but in all reality i was just burnt out if i thought there was a way that closing the brick and mortar and going back to doing 12 or 15 conventions a year made sense where we could financially work our way out of the debt we had from the brick and mortar i might have done it but I don't, A, I don't think that would happen. Right. And B, I was burnt out. There was a long time when I, right after the game, or after the store closed, that I didn't do anything. I didn't role play. I didn't play board games. I didn't even think about gaming. There was probably a good six, eight months where somebody would be like, hey, you want to get together and play board games? And I'd be like, uh, I got this going on. Yep. Even if I didn't. Because it was just to that point. I mean, and since then, now I, I think I sit at a pretty good level of life versus gaming. You know, we, we I role play one night a month, sometimes two. Yep. You know, I play board games mostly with the family now, a couple times a couple times a month. You know, but there's time for social things too. We, we have the couple gathering every month. Yep. Where you, Lou, and I and our spouses get together and we just... Whatever. We eat. We have fun. Yep. You know, and my kids have stuff going on. I have one daughter in college now, another one that's a senior in high school. They have stuff going on. And it's like, it used to be where if Emma if Emma had been in college when I was with the store and she said, Dad, I got this going on. Can you and Mom come down? I'd be like, Mom can. Yeah. You know? So I kind of like where I'm sitting right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I go to a couple conventions a year. It's great. You get out for a weekend with the guys and you play games and you talk stupid and you eat food you shouldn't and yeah but then you come back on sunday and you're like hey i'm back again yep i don't even know what the question was anymore i kind of <laughs> i kind of wandered off on you i'm sorry no that's fine so that we kind of touched on the what were some things you thought would happen but didn't and what were some things you never thought would happen but did obviously you had plans to move into the larger space because you're going to be Hugely successful. successful. Yes. So you never saw Failure. closing in a year and a half. No, no. And even when we made that decision, up until the day that we locked the doors for the last, well, other than going back and cleaning everything right. up, but the day that we locked those doors for the last time, up until then, I tried to figure out a way not to close. Because you've known me long enough now, I don't like to fail. Right. And to me, it was a gigantic failure mm -hmm. at the time. I look at it back at it now, and I look at it as a learning experience. Yep. A very expensive learning experience. There is that. But a learning experience nonetheless. Yeah. Well, there, there is the old expression, the burned hand teaches best. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought we'd fail. I never thought 
that I would be so oblivious to things happening in my own company that the IRS stuff happened and that we got another bill when we were, it was all said and done because somebody somewhere told us that, well, if you only have one employee, you don't have to do unemployment and all this kind of stuff. So we never looked into it. We just took somebody's word. Yep. And that was another, for a year and a half, I think I ended up paying almost two grand in expenses for not having that insurance on my one employee. Right. So, you know, it's just, it was crazy when, when the stuff with this IRS started and we, thankfully, we saved cash, our cash register receipts. Had we not done that, <laughs> I might be doing this podcast from behind bars. <laughs> But yeah, so there, there's a lot of bad things that happened. There was there was good things that happened. And overall, I consider it a positive learning experience. Okay. It's a negative life experience, but a positive <laughs> learning experience. All right. Well, given what you've learned from yes. that, what would it take for you to open another small business if you ever would? Well, that is actually a good question because just about a week ago... You and I and Lou filed for an LLC. That we did, yes. <laughs> so as people know, we have started e, uh, Eclectic Media Project, or EMP as we call it. Yep. What would it take? The right people to go into business with. The smart way of doing it. We're not opening a brick and mortar. We're, we're opening a website is what we're really doing. Yes. So honestly, the risk on this is a lot less than it ever was with Chatham Games. I mean, worst case scenario, we put up the website, and after a year, it's dead. We file our closing papers, and we walk away. Yep. We don't have any inventory that we have to invest upfront money in. Right. We have some filing fees and some, what, website monthly maintenance fees or something? Yearly fee for a website and a yearly fee for the domain. And that's really it. Yep. We're not trying to pay ourselves with this, at least not yet. Maybe at some point we mm -hmm. can do that, but it's it's not one of the. It's not like we're going into this going. We're going to make a ton of money doing this. Yep, and we're not quitting our day jobs. Not even close. <laughs> if I could do it and run a brick and mortar, I don't think I need to close it to run a website. Right. However, if I win the lottery, mm -hmm. then I might quit my job and run the website. Yep. But aside from that... Yes. I think that's in the um, succession planning for all three of us, is that uh, lottery caveat. Yeah. I mean, honestly, what am I saying? I wouldn't take care of the website. I'd buy somebody to... You'd or, hire. I'd hire somebody. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Wrong words. But yeah. I would hire somebody to run the website and do a much better job than I could. Yes. So... Same with me. I, as anybody who knows me knows, I am not technologically friendly. Yeah, in fact, when I was putting my stuff together to do podcasts, knowing I was going to do them with, with Scott here, I actually went for the old analog-type mixing board mm -hmm. <laughs> because if it was – he'd break it. Yes. Just by being near it, I have that effect. You do that a lot to your uh, – what, what am I looking for here? To your phones. Yep. You have an issue with phones. Mm-hmm. But – you know, it, it's one of those things. I'm actually kind of excited about doing this whole thing. We've got some of our first forays out into the real world already set up. It's uh, This will drop in October. Yep. So in November, we'll be at GameholeCon. Yep. 
So if you guys listen to this and you're going to Game Hole Con, Scott's running a game. I am running a session Friday night from 6 to 10 of Dresden Files role-playing game. Okay, and then Friday night from 10 to midnight, I'm running a game of uh, Cards Against Humanity. Okay. And then Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., I'm running another session of Cards Against Humanity. Okay. I think I'm going to skip the Friday one, even though I said I wasn't going to. I have an 8 o'clock game on Saturday because this one DM that I really love playing in her stuff, that was the only session that would work with the rest of my schedule. Okay, fair enough. And and that's fine. I'll come wake you up when I come to the hotel room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's kind of one of those things where I think it'll be good. We're going to bring... We'll, we'll have stuff on the free table that's out there, so people will be able to get more in tune to what we're doing here. But basically what we're doing here, for those of you that haven't listened to one of our podcasts before or... Didn't we, stick around for the stuff at the end. Right. We are basically opening a web portal for media. So when we launch in November, or maybe mid-October, a soft launch in mid-October, but we're going to launch November 1st. We'll have spots for people who want to do podcasts, people who want to do writing, so like stories, short stories, long stories, people who do art, whether it's digital or painting or whatever, you can take pictures, upload it, or upload it if it's digital. Yep. Uh, We'll have space for that. Eventually, we'll have a space for things like you see on YouTube, so for video channels, but that will not be in the beginning. Um, That'll come out eventually, so... So eventually we'll video our podcast so that you can see the goofy expressions that we make at various points. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So other than that, actually, we have a new podcast that will be coming out. It will launch maybe next week, but probably the week after. It's called Page 3.14 News. Okay, there there we go. go. And that's going to be myself and another guy that I know named Mike Loomis. And we're going to kind of look at those off-the-wall type news stories. Okay, but actual news stories, not like Inquirer and Weekly World News. No, absolutely not. Um, in fact, the first week, um, I've, I've picked the, the stories I'm going to do. They all came off of BBC. Okay. But they're kind of those quirky stories. Mm-hmm. So it'll be stuff like we'll focus on space exploration. We'll focus on other countries that do weird things. I actually found a... Um, article i'm going to use on the week two but it talks about jellyfish that aren't really jellyfish they're like they're little machines okay and they'll be able to watch and protect some of the coral reefs in the world once they launch these things okay but they look like real real jellyfish the problem they're coming up with is turtles can't tell the difference between real ones and fake ones and they keep eating them and they keep eating them well when you do your Space story, I should actually hook you up with my buddy Jerry down in Florida. Okay. He works for NASA. Okay. He's an engineer. He works at Cape Canaveral. And as his wife has been uh, posting on Facebook lately, he just received, I think it's like the Distinguished Science Fellow Award or something from NASA. So he was in D.C. to get this award. Right. I mean, our, our big focus is those those off-the-wall things, those things that aren't front-page news. Yep. There won't be politics for the most part, unless politics work into another story somehow. Mm-hmm. We're going to stay away from politics. I'd like to say we're going to stay away from religion, but my guess is we're going to find stories about religion that will make us laugh. Okay. So it's meant to be more of a lighthearted, 
podcast. It's going to be short run. It's going to be 30 minutes or so. Okay. At least that's the plan. We'll see if that really holds <laughs> out. But other than that, yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to that one launching. So you got anything else for me? Nope. I think that was about it. I wanted to make sure we could uh, segue into the Eclectic Media Project stuff, which yep. is usually what we wrap our podcast with. Which we kind of just did. Yep. So with that, uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next month. Take care. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.